100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by a friend of mine, Tony Peterson over at Meat Eater. So Tony has proven himself over the years of being able to shoot deer all over the country on both public and private lands. So we discuss working your way up to bucks, why does are smarter than bucks, shooting whatever makes you happy, manageable goals, late season food sources on public land, late season setups, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have a a story coming out of Pennsylvania from Chris Strickler. Chris wrote in, I have been following you for a year or two now and decided to change the way I hunt based on a lot of the information that you provide. I killed this mountain buck eight point last year in Pennsylvania in the Pennsylvania mountains. I was hunting a small strip of mature timber between two cutouts where the bucks cruised back and forth from one cut to the other looking for does. After having several does and smaller bucks pass through, I grunted this guy close enough 20 minutes later for a shot at just 15 yards on the ground when he swung by to check the mock scrape I had out upwind of my location. Thanks again for opening my eyes to a different area on the map and breaking away from my norm. So congrats, Chris. Just a stud old looking deer. Uh, You can Definitely check that out over at East Meets West Hunt on Instagram or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook. Some really just really cool buck. Big, gnarly looking. What you think of is a mature Pennsylvania mountain buck. So congratulations on that. And uh, it's, it's hard to beat those spots where you get that strip of timber between two different logging cuts. So great work on that. If you have your own story, you want to send it in, send it to boat eastmeetswesthunt.com or just head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com and fill in the contact us form and I'll get it that way as well. Other than that, I just want to remind everybody, sign up for the email newsletter. You'll be getting information here very shortly uh, on the, the mountain buck scouting camp for 2023. That'll be the weekend of April 15th and 16th there. Uh, so I got that locked in. Just working out the rest of the details. As I've been saying, you can go over to YouTube and check out my YouTube channel, which is under my name, Bo Martonic. You can see a little highlight video of last year's camp. See kind of what it entails there. Uh, I'm excited, but the email newsletter is where you're going to find out first. So make sure you're signed up for that newsletter when you get on my website it'll there'll be a pop-up that comes up do you want to sign up for updates just put your email in there and you'll be on the list so once you do that uh yeah you'll be the first to know when the registration opens for the scouting camp should be uh should be a good time so i'm very excited about that and again thank you guys for all the support and all the interest in doing that camp i'm looking forward to that more than just about anything uh coming in the next year so really excited but until then uh hope everyone had a great christmas and late season's open here in pennsylvania so for the next three weeks or so um here and there when i get a chance to go out hunting i'm going to try to target hunting some does and that's what we talk about a lot in this podcast uh with with Tony Peterson and myself. So Tony is, I I love his mentality on all of this stuff. Tony has earned his way into being a big buck killer. He kills whatever makes him happy wherever he goes. Sometimes it's not always the biggest buck. Sometimes it is. And he does what he wants. And I think I have a lot of respect for him for that. And also come down to killing does. And it's 
not as easy as everyone claims to be, especially public land, big woods in the late season. So with that being said, thanks everyone for listening. If you would, you want to share the podcast with your friends, give it a rating and review that helps out so much, helps keep this going and reach new people. So have a great rest of your week. All right. I think we have Zoom figured out here, Tony. So uh, welcome to the show. I think we got her, buddy. I had to do about 17 updates and uh, restart her, but we're here now. You would think that, you know, a couple guys that do podcasts pretty often, we'd be able to figure out the technical side of it. But um, I, I feel like either myself or the guests run into this on just about every show. And a lot of times it comes back on me. So this time, at least it was you. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I'm, I'm glad I could make you feel better. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's it is funny though. Like I have again, I've been, this is I think this will be episode 280 of mine, and it seems like I learned something new about whether it's the recording software or what's going on with all of it at any time. And and I had been recording all of my podcasts on one of those little uh, Zoom H6Ns, like the portable ones. I've done all my podcasts on those until recently. I got a, a fancier uh, like board that I have over here and, and have it all uh, set up. So that was kind of a, a learning curve for me to figuring out what all these buttons do and, and everything else. But it's really nice being able to Bluetooth connect to my computer now. And I had things rigged. Like I, I'm not an audio guy that before, but I think I got it figured out. Do you, do you record yours just from, from your house? Like when you do like the, the foundation stuff for Wired to Hunt and then all your past podcasts that you've done? Um, you know, I use an H6 for uh, anything, you know, if you're on the road, uh, you know, hunting camp or whatever. And then I use those, use it for the foundations. But I actually record through a program on my computer for, you know, these Skype and Zoom interviews if I have a guest. But you're right. I mean, it's like, this is a dumb thing to bitch about. But it sucks when you're like on your own because you have no, if there's nobody in IT, Bo Martana can call. You're like, no, just, <laughs> I just got to Google this shit and figure it out. And uh, it is always different and there's always updates and uh, it can be a little bit of a pain, but it's, it's worth it. Well, it's funny. The first time that I had, uh, well, not the first time, but when I first started doing video recordings on zoom, I, uh, I've had the free version of zoom. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm cheap. I'm going to try to get away with the lowest I can. And I was doing uh, a video podcast with someone and partway through, apparently there was like a 45 minute limit on me doing the, the video yeah. recordings or maybe it was 60 minutes, whatever it was. And it cut out. And I was like, right then and there, I was like, whatever it costs, boom, credit card in, I'm get, get it out of the way. And that's sometimes how, how, uh, uh, my learning process has worked through trying to figure out doing these things is a lot of trial by fire, I guess. Dude, all these companies are like drug dealers, man. They just give you a little taste. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, you want the real thing? You got to pony up. Yeah. And it's like all of them, all of them have like the, the free services that do pretty good. And then as you start doing some other stuff, you have to add to it. Next thing you know, I look at my monthly bills and it's like, man, these uh, 10, 12, $15 a month things all add up as you start as you start going through them all. It's kind of like how Netflix and Spotify and all those those platforms get you on the personal level too. Yeah, this recurring payment services thing is it's big money, man. Oh, it's smart, that's for sure. Uh we're in, and we're deer hunters, we're not tech guys, so that uh <laughs> they use that to their advantage, but anyways, so Tony Peterson, welcome back to the podcast. You've been on here plenty of times. Um 
I don't know. It's been a while, man. It has been. been I've been waiting for you to call. I'm like, come on, Bo. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I think this might, I don't know if this is the first time since you, you're full on with meat eater now, or if you were, I can't remember the last time that, that we did an episode together. It seemed like it was just recently, but again, I just did a different, another podcast this morning with somebody and I, I was like, yeah, we just did one like a year ago and I looked and it was literally three years ago. So, uh, time kind of flies when we're doing these sort of things. Um, which, uh, so anyways, Tony Peterson, uh, for anyone that doesn't know, I'll give you my first, uh, hand impression of Tony. So Tony is one of those guys that I, I look up to from the standpoint, if it's public land, private land, big bucks, small bucks, does Tony doesn't judge. He's going across the board, whatever he's, what he's whatever he's heading after he's has a lot of experience in and i i love reading any of his stuff whether it's uh through the wired to hunt through meat eater um through the the podcasts and you've you've been around for for a little while i'm not saying you're old tony i'm just saying you've been around for a little while (laughs) man i'll tell you what i'm starting to feel old in this game like everybody's younger and i'm I'm just like it's it's actually kind of cool for me because you know I don't know. I started to really chase in the public land thing. I think in like 2008, 2009. And, you know, I did it hard for like 10 years, 12 years. And, you know, I'm kind of at a point now where my kids are hunting and my priorities are changing a little bit. And so I love, I still love like the figuring out the public land thing. Like it's still just way up there on the list for me, but I don't want to work as hard as I used to. So I'm kind of like picking places I really want to hunt and not, you know, not basing it around whether I think I can go kill a Pope and young buck here or there, but just like, I want to hunt the big woods in Wisconsin. Like I want to go to certain places in South Dakota or North Dakota or wherever, and just like be there. And it's, it's just like a different thing. And I watch, I watch these younger guys like you coming up and like getting after it so hard and scouting so hard. I'm like, I remember those days. (laughs) I don't really want to go back. I'm pretty comfortable now, but I still, you know, I have those moments where I get out there on a, you know, some new chunk of public land somewhere. And I'm just like, oh, that old feeling comes back. Like, yes, like you get to figure it out and just like day to day through like tent camping and everything. And it's still such a driver, but it's a different thing for me now. You know, it's it's funny. I talk about it. My cousin was over my house uh, over the weekend. I was boiling my deer skull from Pennsylvania, and which anybody that's ever done that, uh, done their own European mounts. Like I used to do them all a long time ago back in high school and college and I kind of forgot why I stopped doing it and paying someone to do it and I was like "Ah, I'm gonna do my own again this year and then I was like all right I remembered why uh I'd paid somebody because it's a it's a kind of a disgusting long process of of doing it but nonetheless we were we were sitting around I I use it whenever we have things there's things like that going on I use it as an occasion me and Mason we call it um kind of a guy's thing like you know you, you find a reason for the guys to get together have a couple beers and, and hang out and that's kind of what we did and we were talking and as we start as we've been traveling all these different states and and doing all this it's like man i'd really like to have like some some easier hunts built into it or just like a place that i could go to not not really even easier but like uh, a place i can go back to all the time whether it's a chunk of private land or property and 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 I, again i'd i don't mean easier i just mean something that you go back to all the time and and uh that can break up the monotony of trying to figure out a new place constantly because it it does does wear on you for a while as you know as you've done it for a long time now (laughs) yeah you know and part of it is like it's like the mental side of things right like when you have a private place you know i i have these two little properties i own over in northern wisconsin and that's that's where my girls shoot all their deer 
And it's so simple, right? Like I put up some blinds in the preseason and it's like kind of set up. And I love just being like, there's some deer that have been showing up on camera. Let's go sit there because the wind's right or not. And not just being like, okay, what do I need? You know, am I going into saddle up? Am I going to go sit on the ground? Where's the fresh sign? What did I see last night? What do I think they're going to be doing? And it's like, it's just like a mental vacation sometimes to just go hunt someplace. You don't have to think about that stuff as much. And again, like that's like a dumb thing to bitch about, but it, it is like just nice to just go out and be like, no pressure. I'm going to do, you know, a little backpack, carry some stuff in yeah. and you're not just, you know, because that's one of the things that, you know, when you, when you travel a lot and you do a lot of the public land thing and maybe you mix in some Western stuff, it's like, gosh, you're always like, okay, what do I need for this trip? What am I forgetting? Did I get my oil changed? Do I have like this packed? Do I have my butcher kit ready to go? And sometimes it's nice to dumb this stuff down and just like take an easy one. Yeah. And just hunt and, uh, yeah, yeah just, just spend time in the tree. And, and, you know, so last week I was actually, um, on the wired to hunt podcast talking to you and that really got us, you know, we were talking about late season hunting and, and everything. And I was like, man, like I, I still have a buck tag in West Virginia and I believe like, you know, when you're, when you want to, if you want something bad enough, you really got to put in the effort to go do it. And, uh, at the other, there's the other frame of mind too, of like, okay, sometimes you got to understand once you're just kind of a little bit mentally wore out and through it and you're like, all right, I kind of want to just have some fun and not that that's not fun, but there's the, the aspect of, I just kind of want to spend this late season, you know, after Christmas is in Pennsylvania here, our flintlock and late archery opens up of just like doe hunting. I have two doe tags in my pocket and I'm like, I want to, I want to just hunt does. And, and I was thinking about it. It's like, man, I, I haven't really just like specifically targeted does in a long time. And I feel like that's a hole in my game. Cause like, that's a, that's definitely a hole in my game. Like it's, it's not easy to do that. It sounds easy. Um, yeah. And throughout like an entire season, you can have opportunities at does, but if you're specifically targeting them, it's, it's not as simple as everyone thinks. And I was listening to you talking on the foundations, uh, podcast at wired to hunt about does and and you're like you go up to anybody and ask them as far as like oh have you uh uh could you go out and kill a doe like yeah yeah i kill doe anytime it's like okay well when's the last time you did it and how how did that happen and it's like uh uh yeah. so it's i mean it's i don't know it's fun it, it is and it you know we we have so much focus on on bucks and big bucks and i get it but i i I'm still kind of like old school as far as I, I kind of appreciate the process of working your way up to big bucks. You know, it used to be like you squirrel hunted with your dad and rabbit hunted. And, you know, when you got into the deer camp or whatever, it was like, you're going to shoot whatever comes by for a while. And then you might work your way up to letting some go. And we kind of present this image now that you can skip all those steps. Cause we, we, you know, we know how to hack nature, right? Like if you have the right situation, you can make big bucks be there. Like, and so we kind of, we kind of sell that image, but I'm like, most people don't have that and you're not going to become good at this stuff. If you just skip the line that way, because you're going to have to have an easy spot to hunt, to kill big bucks. If you don't know what you're doing, like you just, I, I don't know a way around that. And you, you know how it is. Like there's so many situations where, yeah, you might have that private place where the does come out to the bean field every night and you could shoot them. Okay, great. Could you go into the big woods on public land in the late season and kill a mature doe? 
you know, like, or, or could you go to the public land down your road in September or, you know, in, and make this happen. And it's not so easy. And I think it's like fundamentally a part of getting good. Like you're not, you're not just hunting one specific deer. You're like learning how to hunt concentrations of deer and get drawn on some of the craftiest deer out there and make a good shot. It's not so simple. It's not as simple as we make it sound a lot of times. No, it, it, it definitely isn't. And, and that's, and I just thought like when we had that conversation, I think some of it was on air and some of it was off air. I don't even remember exactly, but it was just like, it really had my, my head turning as far as like, man, that's, it's kind of fun to think about targeting does. And plus, you know, and depending on where you're at, you know, you're also doing very good from the management uh, side of things. A lot of times does do need shot and they need taken out, you know, to, to help with that buck to doe ratio. And, and also just being able to learn how to, how to draw and keep your emotions in check, especially for newer hunters. And when I say newer hunters, it's not even just that, but even like myself, when, when I'm targeting bucks and maybe there's a couple deer that I'll shoot in a year, that's not very many chances. Like as, as if you're shooting a few does a year, plus a couple bucks or whatever, you start reducing that curve and reducing the aspects as you get later in your, your hunting career, as far as making those mistakes, because you're, you're starting to build that, that, uh, muscle memory in your head of, of being able to make it happen in the moment of truth and seeing what you can get away with and what you can't. And I think that's such a big part of, of hunting does and, and doing that. Well, for sure. And I, you know, I kind of view it the same way as I'm sure you get asked constantly from people who are like, Hey, I want to go on my first Western hunt. I want to hunt mule deer, you know, spot and stock mule deer. I want to go antelope hunting or elk hunting, you know, and I, I hear the same thing all the time. And it's, it's amazing to me and it, it, everybody does this. So I'm not, I'm not shitting on anybody specifically, but it's like people have such like a high expectations out of that stuff. And I'm like, why do you think you're going to be good at that? Like you, if you've never spotted and stalked antelope, like with a bow and you think you're just going to go out there and be good at it. I'm like, that's crazy. And if you go out there and you're like, you know, I want one that's 75 inches, 76 inches, some, a big one, like, okay, you might get a stock in on your entire hunt might, you might, or if you go and you just hunt whatever antelope's legal, you might get 10 or 12 stocks in in a week. And you do that for a couple of years in a row. Like, okay, one guy might be, might have a better trophy room. Cause he might luck into that big one but who's going to be the better antelope hunter? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not the person who only does one stock every year. You know, it's the same thing with, like you said, with the big buck deal, man, there's a difference between getting around deer and killing them. And, you know, you see this, I'm sure you hear all the time. Like people are like, I want to tell Bo my favorite, you know, big buck story. Like everybody who encounters like the, the biggest buck of their life, they screw it up every freaking time. Like it's always a story about how you hit them in the brisket or you shot over their back and use the wrong pin. I'm like, yeah, you don't have any experience at that. Like you just, you can't get enough life experience shooting at 160 inches if you're like out grinding on like normal people ground. So you got to go, okay, what, what can I do? Like, how can I get better at this and enjoy it more? And man, those, those can do it for you. Oh yeah. And, and so I, if I look back at like, at my, especially with bow hunting, as I go back and, and look at it, when I first started, I was, I was seeing my dad like hunting these big bucks and doing this. And I was like, that's what I wanted to do. And I had shot 
three or four bucks before I'd even shot a doe. And that was the wrong way of doing it because now when I shot those three or four bucks, I'd miss three to four times that amount because I didn't know how to, how to act in that situation. And, and you know, everyone, I remember growing up, everyone's like, he's Bo's the luckiest guy for opportunities. Like, you know, I always have these opportunities, these stories, these big deer that would come in that I'd shoot over their back or I'd have this problem and that problem. And, and I think a lot of it when it comes down to the, the shooting aspect is having those repetitions and being comfortable um, as comfortable as you can be in that, that time, obviously there's a lot of mechanics and mind things you can work on, but just being around it and, and getting those reps in is so, is so critical. And I I think that, yeah, we, we do try to shortcut it and, and, you know, you, some of us are to blame on the aspect of talking about big bucks all the time and, and, you know, creating this, yeah, I, I have this, uh, submission for listeners called mountain buck monday that i post every monday success stories and a lot of the stories will start out with you know it's about my third year hunting the big woods and he wasn't the one i was after but i'm happy with him and it's like man like that's a freaking beautiful deer like why don't don't say that to start it out because like that's it, it takes a long time to get consistently successful and and whether that's the big woods or wherever i'm just using that as an example but i i think that I, th- I, that's why I, I think that like someone like talking to someone like you is the, the right example of it. Cause I feel like you've went through that process your whole life of like, you've shot a lot of animals and that's helped you become, <laughs> become a good hunter at shooting big bucks at shooting whatever. That's why when I started out this podcast with the introduction, I mean, I feel like that's, that's kind of been, uh, your repertoire there. Well, it has. And you know what? I mean, maybe this makes me sound like a freaking psycho. (laughs) I like shooting deer, man. I love that feeling of just like when you green light yourself and you know, like now, now he walks this way, she comes in this way, whatever. Like, when am I going to draw where, where am I going to settle that pin? I just, I freaking love that feeling. Like, you know, we, we've been hunting pheasants a whole bunch in the late season here and it reminds me of, you know, when I look at my dog, cause I'm running a lab. So I've got flushers and I can see that tail going and I'm like, that dog's birdie or, you know, we're in the cattails. So a lot of times you just hear it and you hear that tail just whacking those cattails. And like that moment where you're like, somebody's getting up here and, you know, it might be a bunch of hens. It might be a rooster. You don't know. I just, I love it. Like, I just, I want more of it. And I, that's kind of what I figured out, uh, through deer hunting, you know, cause I, I kind of, I, I started out, I shot everything and then I went through the big buck phase. And then when I started to travel to, to public land hunt a lot, you know, I got lucky and I killed some big deer, but I was like, this is a different thing. Like this is, this is not devoting a whole season to one farm in Minnesota or whatever. This is like, I got four or five days. And if somebody drives their four wheeler in here when I'm sitting, like one day might be screwed up or one sit. And I, I realized the places I went to that would sell me more than just a buck tag. I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more. You know what I mean? Like in yep. Oklahoma really put it over the edge for me. Cause you'd buy a tag down there and you get six, you can shoot six deer on it. So you're like, man, I hear some uh, stick crack coming my way. I'm, I'm knocking up, man. Like I'm ready to go. Cause I got something I can shoot. And I just realized like, it just made, it made me enjoy it more just going, you know, having lower standards in different places and just like made, I feel like it made me better, like a better decision maker and like better at movements and better at draw timing and all that stuff. And now I'm just like, I just don't care. Like, I'm just like, I just want to, I want to have fun and shoot deer, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so 
like all right so when you when you travel to some of these hunts and and that's one of the things that that i've learned and made the mistake of is you have to plan ahead of time as far as getting doe tags because a lot of places like for example pennsylvania you have to apply earlier than just buying it at walmart and sometimes that or before the season i learned in west virginia i went down there and bought my tags the season already opened and i was like oh i'm gonna get a couple doe tags and i was like i can't because it was too late and i was like man i really screwed that up so i you know because i wanted to practice spot and stalking on does so that when i had that opportunity at a great buck that i wanted to shoot that i could you know i had the reps in because that's not that's not what i'm used to doing and so talk a little bit about like um kind of uh, i guess a little more detail on what you just said with those those opportunities like are you hunting say if you're are you like targeting bucks and shooting does as they come by or how how are you looking at doe hunting um, you know, my strategy, unless I'm in a place, you know, maybe out West where I can really glass and pin something down, I, you know, I, I go find a concentration first and then I whittle it down. And so, you know, and this, this happens to me everywhere I go now, just about, it's like, I, I want to get around deer first and then I'm going to make my decision. So a lot of times I'm just hunting whatever, whatever sign. And it's not just buck sign, you know, like I like pounded trails and crossings and river crossings and whatever. And then, you know, sometimes you get in there and you see a buck do something. I mean, a lot of the bucks I've killed on public land, I've been just, how do I, how do I dive into this concentration of deer? And then you see something and then you adjust to that, you know, maybe once or twice, and then you kill a buck. But a lot of times if I have a doe tag, I'm like, I just want to find that concentration of deer and whoever comes down the trail. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, I've had nights where I shot a doe walking through and then 10 minutes later I shot a buck. Yeah. You know, like that stuff happens. And so uh, to me, it it really kind of is like, it's just not such a narrow focus. I'm like, I want to get around a concentration. And then if I got a doe tag in and a big lone doe comes by, she's in trouble. Unless I, for some reason, I think I just don't want to take care of it or whatever. Or, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we might be dealing with this next year over in Wisconsin where I hunt. Cause this winter has started out pretty gnarly already over there. So we might be seeing one of those deals where we get a pretty good winter kill and so then, you know, it's like, you know, even if they'll sell you tags, if I'm in a place where I'm like, I don't think I don't, I don't need to shoot a doe here, I won't. But that, that situation over there taught me, even when the deer numbers are up, it's like, man, it's hard to get around a little, little group of deer and get one in range. You know I mean? Those deer are, they're dealing with wolves and bears and coyotes and bobcats and tons of hunters and so it's just like, find that concentration, work it and see what it's going to give you before you blow it up and you got to start over. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a, such a good approach and it's something that sounds so simple, find the deer, but like it really, that's what it comes down to. And then you, and then working from there, as far as like, before you get into those specific tactics, I think that's, that's a, a good point. And I think you learn, you'll learn so much about the bucks when you're hunting those does, like, especially late season thing, like when you're thinking about late season and you're focusing on, on these areas that have concentrations, whether the weather's bad and they're kind of yarded up or, you know, I guess more deer in, in specific locations, um, you know, big woods, maybe it's a logging cut that they're feeding in, whatever you, you won't. I've found when I've hunted does in the late season that I'll see bucks too and have, you know, 
that that op- opportunity to learn more so than anything about those deer and i think that that's something that kind of gets brushed under the the rug as far as like not you know thinking oh we're just going out to shoot does but if you look at it from the mindset of i'm learning about bucks too um at the same time well yeah and it, i mean we don't really talk about this a lot but you know if you if you go out if i go out and it's like october 30th you know we're right right pre-rut bumping up on something you know, when it's going to get really good, you know, you see that forky walking through the woods or whatever, like people, you know, I'll watch him, but what is he teaching you? You know? And when you think about does, like here's a prime example, right? Let's say you're hunting opening weekend and you've got a, a standing bean field to sit over, right? You've been glassing bucks or whatever, and you go in there and it's been a West wind or a South wind for, you know, mo- most of the time you've been scouting and you go in there and it's an East or a North or something. And so you're like, oh, I'm going to go to this corner. Cause this is where the bucks were coming out. And then the first deer you see are the does and they come out of a trail that you just like, why, why are they coming out there? You know? And it's like, uh, you like, you don't give it enough weight. Right. Cause you're like, ah, oh, it's just a doe and two fawns who cares. And then the bucks come out over there and then you're like, Oh, why did the bucks come out there? It's like, cause they're using the wind. Like they changed their approach to get in there. They change, you know, like staging, you know, this time of year, when you see deer using a, some kind of food source, you know, the first ones to get there are going to be the does most likely. How do they approach? Like how long do they sit there back in the brush and watch it? Like, how are they using the wind? Cause we, we always talk about these bucks. Like they're like such a different species. I'm like, no, man, they're just like last in line. A lot of times they're like, you go out, risk your ass. Like I'm going to sit back here. I don't need to move yet. I can, when I get out there, I could push anybody off the prime food I want. So it's not, it's, it's a different thing, but when you start to go, okay, instead of just kind of like passively watching deer, like, oh, it's cool. I saw some does walk through. If you're hunting them, you're just paying attention different. And you're like, what, what trees did they walk by? Like, why did they approach from this corner or why were they bedded in those cattails and not back there in the thicket? And it's like, well, what are the conditions? Who else is going to follow those conditions to those kind of advantageous spots? Like that, all that stuff makes you better. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories.
Yeah. And and also you, you you hit a really good point about we give the Bucks too much credit because those how many times have you seen like I'll, I'll look in like hill country in the big woods where you'll get bucks that'll bed out around these points and does might bed in a group on the top. You know, they have each other to kind of keep themselves safe facing different directions. But if you're walking out there, you blow those does out. You never usually see the bucks because they're a warning sign for that buck that drops off on the edge. And the same thing when they come out to feed, you know, if they're coming out to if it's in, you know, ag country, wherever the food source is or a cut or some sort of grasses on a power line of gas line that you see those does come out first and they're the ones that are kind of doing the you know the intel looking and then when they're out there the bucks feel more comfortable there's already does out there the danger is probably not uh you know immediate so yep. you know they're they're using those those does like you said as a kind of a test dummy for them yeah and i mean there's just more antlerless deer you know i mean if you're hunting three and a half four and a half five and a half year old bucks there's not going to be very many of them in most places and there's just, it just appears like there's a lot of does, but I always look at it and I go, you know, if you have a four and a half year old doe in a high, like high hunter density area, that deer's going to be just as good at not getting killed as a four and a half year old buck. Like, yeah, there, I mean, and, and maybe even a little better because, you know, just having to take care of fawns and move them around and get them food and stuff like they, they have to live a little riskier, less selfish of a life. And I just think, man, like if you can go out and you can find them and you can put an arrow behind their shoulder, like consistently, like you, you're not going to have trouble with bucks. Like you're going to get that down too. Yep. Nope. That, that makes sense. So I guess as we're, since we are approaching kind of this, this late season time frame, what, what do you have? What do you have as far as tags in your pocket or what are you looking at doing here um, in the late season as far as deer hunting goes? I know you, you spend a lot of time with the dogs and, and birds at this time of year, but are, are you going to be doing any deer hunting for yourself? Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got a doe tag <laughs> left here in Minnesota. You know, our season's going to be over here real soon, but I'm, I'm really working this one group of does on this property I can hunt and they've they just moved back in after getting really pushed out by the landowners shotgun group and some muzzleloader hunting. And I'm, I'm keeping a little eye on them and just giving them like a little false sense of security <laughs> and kind of just trying to, you know, I, where we, where I live right now, you know, like if there's pretty good deer travel, it's pretty obvious, right? Like the trails are pretty obvious. We have a lot of snow this year. You know, this is not the, the situation I'm talking about. It's not like a terribly difficult thing to figure out, but they just got piss pounded for the whole season and they know there's a sanctuary right across the road so i'm just letting them settle in and i'm waiting and a couple nights before the season ends i'll go in there and saddle up on some of these trails where you like stay away from the neighbor that sorry the landowners uh ladder stands and stuff because you know they get they get hunted all season those deer like figure this stuff out and so they're using the kind of the sloughs and the swamps and so I'm going to, I'm going to specifically target those the last, you know, probably two or three times in the last week and just try to play it safe because I know I might get a one good hunt in there. And if the conditions are right, if there's some wind or something, I should be able to draw. Otherwise they're going to bust me and I'll be screwed, but I'm, yeah. that's what I'm working on now. And the other thing I have is I have a place in Southwestern Wisconsin uh, that stays open all the way through January. And so I'm going to go run down there in the middle of January and try to try to shoot one more doe and see if I can. And that'll be, that'll be easier. That gets a, that place gets a lot less pressure, but they get really wadded up in there. And 
if you don't, you know, if your approach sucks or they're, you know, if it gets super cold and they're bedded right on the edge and that you, like you said, that first one picks you up walking in, the whole thing's blown out. So it's, it's not as challenging as a lot of hunting could be, but it's still like, if you're not kind of on your A game, it's, it's going to be trouble, you know? And that's the other thing too, is like, you know, the noise this time of year, any little noise you make. And one of the hardest things that I have when I'm, when I'm hunting does in the late season, is just like, getting drawn on them without getting busted like that movement is just I, I don't care like how smooth you can do it any little creek or a little like you know your elbow brushing against the tree or anything like that it's like there's no tolerance for that and I kind of love that because it's like you better if you don't do this right you don't get them yeah I mean there's no foliage on the trees so you stick out easier you, you know you're yep. you're sticking out in the tree easier you have to either go higher or be I guess, uh, better with not moving, um, as far as being in that tree. Yeah. Everything's quiet. Cause again, there's not any leaves on the trees. There's not a whole lot of stuff blowing around. It's just like, it reminds me of like when I hunted in Alberta, um, in November, but it's so quiet up there that any movement, you know, ticks them off. And it was funny because one, one thing I can, I think of examples, I was hunting bucks up there, but I was sitting in a tree stand and I had, a doe come in and a buck was following her and it was a, this was like a six year old deer and they were at like eight yards. Okay. They were close to me right there. And that buck never once looked up at me in the tree and I stuck out pretty good. Cause like I, I wasn't that high and there's not any leaves in the, those, uh, Aspen trees are in are just like poles. So like you're, you kind of stick out a little bit and I was tucked up against the tree, but that doe, she saw me like, multiple times she never took off but you know she'd do the the look and then kind of head down look up you know doing that whole thing a couple times i just didn't move and uh but that buck never never looked up at me and he's an old buck and this doe that was a mature doe was way more turned on than uh than he was with it but you're right with that late season stuff it's just it's cold um, it's it's hard for you you know after sitting for a while to be able to draw your bow back and do it smoothly, quietly, all of those different things. Those deer just are turned on. They've been hunted all year. It's a, it's a whole nother, whole nother situation when you're thinking about it. And it doesn't matter again, uh, where you're hunting at. It's it, those, that whole moment of truth portion of it and trying to make it happen is the same. Yeah. And man, you, you're so right. I, I, I remember, when I kind of first started figuring out how to get around some big bucks, because I, you know, when I was growing up, like if somebody killed like Pope and young buck, it was like, holy shit, like that's a big deal. Right. And so it was like, they were, they weren't even like on our radar, really. Like you were never going to see one. You, you certainly weren't going to shoot one, you know? <laughs> and then when I finally started to get it, like where one or two times a season, I'd have an encounter. I was always just so amazed, especially right in that pre-rut Halloween-ish time where I would just look up and they're just walking through the woods. Like, you know, sometimes head down, sometimes head up, but not, not the way the does did it, you know, like not the way that they would, you know, take their time and check stuff out. It was just like, they were just like master of their domain, not scared of anything. And it, it kind of like made me feel like they just aren't moving as much, but when they do, they don't look like they're scared of anything, you know, and not, not always, you know, sometimes yeah. they, they do, but a lot of times they just like have this swagger to them where they're like, they don't look that concerned. They don't look up as much a lot of times. And then you'll get those does 
where you just like, you see that doe with two fawns coming in. She's got the big long nose. And you're like, oh God, she's going to bust me. Yeah. Like, you're, you're just like, I hope she just doesn't blow too much and, and screw the whole thing up. And that like, that's so consistent how often that happens. And then you see those bigger deer and so many times they come in, even when you call them sometimes, they're just not, it's just a different thing, a different kind of encounter. Yeah. And those, and those does like, like you said, with them looking up and they spot, they spot is so, so much more than the bucks do. And earlier in the season, I feel like when they do, and I think you brought this up when we were talking last time, but it's so true is when those does look up and they'll do like the stomp and then maybe the head thing, you know, they'll do that earlier in the year, but as they've either been shot at or been spooked really bad a few times, now we get later in the season, they're not going to give you those opportunities of like, all right, they're going to blow at you a couple times and then you're still going to have a chance to draw and shoot them. Like that's not, nope. that doesn't happen as much in, in the late season, especially after they've been pressured public yeah. private well, you, don't matter. <laughs> no. And I mean, you can see it's such a, like, a, like the hunting media, like there's such a skewed view of this stuff, right? Like mo- most of the people who've been creating hunting content for a long time have really good spots to hunt. And so if you see like videos of it, you know, it's door, it's does pouring out into the, you know, the brassicas or whatever, whatever food plot or field. And then the big guy shows up and they kill him. And it's like, it's like, we've just had this sort of just pounded into us over and over and over again, that that's just how it's going to go. Like, it's just that easy. And then you get out there in the real world and you go hunt them and you're like, man, they're not, they're just as savvy of a prey animal as anything with antlers on its head. They just are. And there just happens to be more of them. And we just kind of like discount it. And I think it's, I think it's insane, man. Like, I think it's, I think it's a great way to enjoy your season and just get better. Like go try to go try to fill your freezer a little bit. Let's see how it goes. You yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, can, can I go on a rant for a second? Yeah, go on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tony's rant. <laughs> uh, I I'm gonna try to be careful here. So you know, I anybody who knows me knows that I do not like social media very much, but I get sucked in just like everybody else. I have to do it for my job. Anyway, like a week ago, I was scrolling through Instagram and you know how you you they'll start feeding you other people. Oh, you might like to follow this person. You might like to follow this person, whatever this, this, uh, post showed up and it was this woman. I don't know her, never met her. Don't know who she is. I don't even know her name. I don't know where she lives, but she had posted this just like, you can't kill the big ones. If you shoot the little ones, she was standing next to a rub and you gotta, you know, you gotta let them go. And all this like trophy stuff, and, you know, I know the age of the buck that made this rub. And I'm like, who, like, who is this chick? And so I looked at her, you know, like her feed and, you know, there's some, she killed some freaking big deer. Every one of them, there's like years of shed antlers there. You know what I mean? In the photos. And I'm like, okay, so you're out here telling everybody that they have to pass up little bucks to wait for them to get super mature. And you're clearly hunting a place where you can raise deer and they're coming back year after year and you're obviously managing them. And I, I don't know where she lives, but I'll bet you money. It's Kansas or Iowa. Cause those were big, just the look of it. Maybe not, maybe somewhere else. But I was like, do you not understand that most people don't have that? You know what I mean? Like most people are out there and they don't have that opportunity to just pass up a buck and see them next year. Like, 
it's not going to freaking happen. Mm-hmm. And I just, I looked at that. I was like, this is so gross. Like you, instead of just like being appreciative of the opportunity you have, cause great. Like you have an awesome place to hunt target one sixties. I don't give a shit, but you're out there like telling people who might be on public land or might have three years of hunting under their belt to do that. I'm like, that's, that's like such the wrong message. Like, and, and I always look at this and you know how this is. And this probably makes me sound so petty, but I'm like, I'll bet you couldn't go kill a button buck on public land if you had the whole season. You know what I mean? Like, if you can't go sit on a box blind on a food plot, like, I don't know if you can get it done. Like, and that that kind of messaging just drives me crazy. Oh, no, definitely. And 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 that's where I, I got a little bit of slack last year when I went up to New York. After I'd shot my biggest archery buck in Pennsylvania, I go to New York on the first day and I shoot one of my smallest bucks that I've ever killed with a bow. And people are like, why don't you just shoot a doe instead of, you know, come, most of these people from New York saying I'm coming to their state and shooting their younger deer or whatever. But it's like, okay, first of all, there really doesn't have to be any, anybody has, a, doesn't have to have a reason to justify what they shoot. That's, that's up to them. But I am going to justify from the standpoint for people to learn from. But like, I want to get, if I want to get good at doing something or doing it, I also need to have fun with it. So there's two, there's two aspects the way I look at any hunt that I go into and there's places that I'll go into and I'll be like, I want to shoot a big deer and that's the experience I'm going for. And I'm willing to to go home without it. Then there's other things where I'm like, I want to go into a brand new area that I've never hunted before, see what kind of things work, what applies. And I want to come home with some, some meat. And in that situation, it was like, I got to stock in on a buck on the ground in the timber feeding on some acorns that was on there in the middle of the day there was tree stands all over illegal four-wheeler trails on the top of the hills i was just working my way down these benches using the thermals to kind of to come from the top and work my way down and slip into 37 yards and be able to get a shot on this deer and then pack them out and take them home like that was awesome it's like yeah could you go could you could i went and shot a doe instead of that actually i don't know like that's not it's not i don't know if i could have like that's that was the only deer that i saw (laughs) i know and you buy the tag for the experience yeah like and you know those people wouldn't have been happy if you'd have shot 150 inch or either like if you're if you're the kind of person who's pissed about somebody coming into your state and shooting one of your deer one of your quote unquote deer you're going to be pissed no matter what it is and it's like, okay, so you shoot a little buck and people get mad at you. You shoot a big buck, get people get mad at you. You kill a doe and it's like, okay, well, what if that doe would have had six buck fawns in her life? Like, it doesn't freaking matter. None of this shit matters. No. Like, it's not that important. And that's that's one of the things that I've like, with that that girl's Instagram post, I was like, man, you know, we're not we're not curing childhood cancer here. Like you're not doing anything that special. We're murdering freaking rabbits with antlers, dude. Like this is not like, (laughs) you you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's awesome, but it really doesn't matter. And it really doesn't matter what any individual hunter shoots. Like who cares? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, And I don't care. Like, you know, whoever that, that girl is that, that woman that was hunting, like if that's what she wants to target, like, man that's more power to you that's freaking awesome um it's, it's a big deer it's just like that's that's not one realistic for everybody and I, i'm not and i'm also like if someone does have great land and property to do that i think that's freaking awesome and i'm not one of those uh, that must be nice type of person with it but you also have to look at what you have available and what's the the realism of of hunting there like there's 
I don't know. That's just, that's just something that, that I, I think about a lot. And it's like in Pennsylvania, and I, I obviously always refer back to Pennsylvania because that's my home state and where I spend most of my time. But I hunt a lot. I scout a lot. I know a lot of areas. And I know I'm still going to struggle shooting a doe in the late season. Like that's going to be a trophy like that. If, you know, if I'm able to make that happen, I have two tags, the likelihood of me filling both those tags is not very high and I have more time than most people. So let's, let's put that all into perspective as we're, as we're thinking about it. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. That's for sure. Well, I mean, part of it is a symptom and we're, we're all guilty of this, right? Like, you know, we, we want to paint ourselves as badasses and, you know, we, we're, we're working super hard and, you know, like really grinding it out. But, it, and so it like, because we're kind of wired toward that, it's harder to just be honest about the advantages you have, you know? And I, I had people say that to me, you know, I've, I've had a couple of years where I was just like, had uh, like really good run on animals, you know, like multiple Pope and young bucks on public land, like elk deer, or, you know, mule deer, whatever. Like I've had, I've had some years that were like amazing. And people are like, you know, man, like, I can't believe you can do that. Like, that's, that's like so awesome. I'm like, well, yeah, it's, it's cool. But I'm like, you know, I have so much time or I did when I was, when I was doing a lot of that, you know, like tons of free gear showing up. Like I'm incentivized to do this because my paycheck depends on it. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's a different thing. And it's, you know, when you look at guys like the, the hunting public guys and you, you know, he's, oh man, they're killing, you know, good bucks every year on public land all over the place. It's like, yeah, like they, they're getting more experience in, in a season than most people get in, in like a decade or two, like really like, and you know, I'm not like, I think it's awesome what they're doing. They're, they're good hunters, but you have to recognize that and go like, man, you put a pack of six good hunters together and you're like, here all your bills are paid all year. All you got to do is go out and like make this happen. There's a lot of weight off of their shoulders and there's a different pressure there, but it's that experience that's stacking up, layering up over and over again, that's just making them killers. And like, that's a huge advantage. Like we don't, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff a lot. And, you know, if you're somebody who's listening to this, who's like, you know, I get six days a year, eight days a year to hunt or something like, okay, that, you're, you're not going to do what a lot of these people can do. Cause that's just not enough time. Like you'll never get there. So like, what do you, like, how do you get better? Like, if you want to get better and you want to kill more deer, like, okay, maybe lower your standards, maybe go hunt does now on public land when nobody else is out there, like find, find some ways to do that. Cause that's, that's going to make you better and it's going to be more fun. Yeah. And, and that's like, just, you, you made a really good point with that. And I, when I was just talking with, uh, Lee Ellis from Seek One is as and I told you about him, but he he had killed three deer over 170 inches this year, and he goes, I keep, he's like, I'm trying to make it, you know, in the videos that I'm, you know, producing on this is like, listen, guys, this is what I do. Like I drive around the country door knocking, trying to get permission on these things to find these deer. That is not realistic to the everyday person. That's a lot of entertainment that comes with it. Now, you know, I hope that that can you can have you know 
show that it's possible and you can have goals of it, but like doing that multiple states and, and everything is just not, it's not realistic to, to everybody. There's no shortcut for time. There's no shortcut for time and experience. There's things that can help you with getting information and, and, and everything. And that's obviously why we all, why you and I have jobs, you know, it helps people reduce that learning curve, but there's still nothing that replaces time and experience. And I, I think that's, that's a very good thing to know and and I've learned I saw it so much this year with messages I was getting during the warm rut and everything that we had um, across the country but people that were newer to hunting the big woods just being frustrated and not and it's like man that's a part of it like that's I'm frustrated too I'm struggling too like that's that's how that's unfortunately unfortunately or fortunately that's that's what kind of keeps us keep coming back or the ones that really want it you know just keep trying to learn and that's it's a it's a lifetime process it's not there's not something where there's a set end goal that you're you know gonna do good for it so well i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with the buddies hoy rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing i noticed with the new hoys were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like i prefer I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoStix 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's such a great example, right? Is like, okay, let's say you are in Pennsylvania and you're like, I'm going to kill a mature big woods buck this year on public land. And it's like, ah, you know, you, you go out and you, you bide your time and you, you scout around a little bit, but you're like, the rut's coming, like it's going to save me. And then it's like the rut comes and it's 25 degrees hotter than you expect. And of course, everybody's out anyway, because it's the rut. And you just realize like, okay, maybe, maybe my goal was a little bit too lofty, or maybe I need to change this now that it's late season and just go hunt deer and figure out how to do that. Cause man, I think you lock yourself into some of this stuff and it's like so easy to set goals that are probably just not going to happen, you know? And it's like, man, it's not that much fun doing something where you're almost assured failure. And, you know, like it's, and everybody, this goes for everything. This isn't just deer hunting. Like look at how people, how many people are going to start a diet on the new year or uh, like, oh, I'm going to start working out. 
And not only am I going to start working out, I'm going to do three miles a day on a treadmill and I'm going to go to the weight room every day and I am giving up all sugar and I'm going to go total keto and all this stuff. And it's like, nope, it's, it's too much. Pick one, work your way into it, you know, and, and like earn those steps, like earn those steps. Because it's like, you, you, you see this with deer hunters constantly where it's like the, the person, and I don't want to sound like a total prick here, but like somebody with not a lot of experience or not a good place to hunt or not enough time to go scout the way you need to is like, I just want X or Y. It's like, if you're, if you're okay failing at that and like, that's the goal you want to stick to great. Like do that. Who cares? Like if it doesn't, if it's not taking anything away from you, great. But if you know, by the time, you know, mid November rolls around and the gun season's coming on and you're going to be like, God, I wish I would have shot that buck back in October or whatever. Like think about that stuff. Cause it's important. Cause you don't want to make this. So it sucks. And there's enough, like you're talking about that warm rut. Like there's enough misery just built into even a great season where it's like, if the more that you just bring that on, just because maybe your, maybe your standards are out of whack with your experience or something, the worse it gets. And it's just not fun. Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because I was talking to my dad about this who's been hunting for so long and and he, every year he kills a good buck and and last year in 2021 he killed an exceptional once in a lifetime Pennsylvania deer and it was 170 inches on public land like you know it's like everyone's asking where, where do you go next like what's your next he's like he's like I'm still doing I'm going to still do the same thing that I that I've been doing. He's like, "Yeah, if something comes along like that again, maybe I'll target him and go after." He's like, "But I like to have fun." He's like, "I he always he's always just dr- driven that in my head. He's like, "I hunt for the experience." He's like, "If I can call in a buck and he comes in, he's tearing up, he's got the hair standing on the back of his neck, and I shoot him at 10 yards and he goes over and he's not the biggest deer out there, like I'm still just as pumped." And I I think that's such a a, a cool attitude to have. And I think that gives you longevity. And, you know, as you're talking about like new year's resolutions, sort of speak, um, I, I even go back to that when I'm looking at, uh, goals I have for the podcast and business and whatever else, like all of a sudden I have all these things I want to do. And then realize if I try to do all those things, I'm going to fail probably at all of them. But it's like, you do one thing consistently and you'll work your way better than you are. If you try spreading yourself too thin, um, it, then that relates to hunting or relates to everything in life. I feel like it's, uh, it's something that I, myself, I'm constantly trying to remind myself and, and, and work towards. Oh, big time, man. I, I think goals are so important. And I, I mean, I think it's, I think it is a really powerful motivator. If you're like, I've always killed two and a half year olds or a year and a half, two and a half. I want that three-year-old. Like I want something that's 115, 120 plus type of thing or whatever. I think that shit's great. Like I, and same thing with working out or whatever. But I think, you know, a lot of times we, we kind of, we kind of internalize what we see other people doing and we go, okay, I'm going to do that. Or we go, you know what, I've, I've been killing three and a half year old eight pointers on grandpa's farm for the last 10 years. I'm going to go try one of these public land hunts somewhere. And, you know, that's kind of like my benchmark. And it's like, now that that goal is not the same anymore. Like you have to recognize that, right? Like it'd be the same thing if, you know, I've, I've had in the last five years, I've had years where I've, I've run a thousand miles and 1100 miles and 700 miles and Kind of depends on what I have going on and what I want to do, you know, like if I'm going to draw an elk tag or how do I feel, but I couldn't, I couldn't make a thousand or 1100 mile goal. If I went out and I rolled my ankle 
You know, like if I went and fell on the ice today, like I, that might change. Circumstances change. You know, you got to look at that and go, okay, like I don't want to give up on being sort of a goal-driven person, but now there's a different set of circumstances here. Or I'm just not having fun with this. Like it's the, the you know, wrapping up that six miler or whatever, it doesn't feel good to me anymore. Like, well, what do you need to do? Cause you still need to do something like that. But what do, how do I need to tweak it to make sure that I'm okay with this and I'm going to show up tomorrow? Cause I don't want to, like, you don't want to be the person who's like one forties are bust and now it's late season and you're not going to hunt. Cause you're not going to go out on public land and kill a one forty. <laughs> you yeah. know, like what's, what's the goal now? Or, you know, if you if you've got your rutcation and it's day five of seven and it's been 75 degrees for three days and then two days of pouring rain and you might have two good days. Now, is it still 150 or bust or is it like, man, I want to go enjoy a full day dark to dark in the woods. And if something comes down the trail, that's not quite as big, but it gives me a good shot. Am I going to take it? Like, I think that stuff's important. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, 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 uh, so that's like right now, my goal, my goal for this late season is killing a doe with my flintlock muzzleloader. Like that's, that's a goal of mine that, that I'm, I'm taking pretty seriously and I'm not even going against age class of does. I'm not even looking for a really big old doe. Now I'm not going to shoot a fawn, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'd be happy with a, a middle of the road doe that comes rolling in and maybe she's, you know, not experienced enough to see me moving or me trying to get the, uh, the hammer back and, and well, looking up and hey, look let me, let me just make a, let me make a quick plea here. Uh, fawns are delicious <laughs> and super easy to drag out. Super easy to butcher. I'm just saying, let's just keep our options open. Okay. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe I need to, I, I need to talk to you before I head out in the, in the woods there the day after Christmas. So <laughs> I, I say that like jokingly, but I did shoot a fawn last year in the late season and it was delicious and <laughs> I didn't care. I was, I literally went out hunting with my buddy in January and had two doe tags and he's like, what do you, cause, and he had a buck tag. So he's like, I'm only shoot a buck. We were in a blind together. And I was like, listen, the first two antlerless deer that come up here that get close are going to get shot. And I looked in the woods and here comes this lone fawn in. I was like, well, <laughs> here we go. This one's in trouble. And I shot it and it ran over and died. And then a little while later, a doe came in. And I shot that one too. <laughs> <laughs> and they were delicious. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, all right. So looking at, looking at late season, um, you know, for let's, let's kind of, Let's focus on the public land side uh, for this question specifically. Um, what about food? Like what what are what are you looking at from a, a food standpoint or things that maybe people aren't thinking about as you're focused on hunting some does in late season? You know, my public land late season hunts are so different than my private land. You know, I, I go pretty standard on on private land and I'll try to sit food or sit something like, you know, a direct route to a destination food source, you know public land for me is like all tied to cover. Like where, where are they going to be betting? Where are they going to go back to betting to? And, you know, if there's a, if there's a food source around, you know, it depends what it is. You know, if I'm over in Northern Wisconsin, it's going to be a clear cut or something, right? Like if I'm down South a little farther, it's going to be some kind of food source that probably isn't on the public, but is on a neighboring property. But for me, public land late season is like, cattail sloughs and willow thickets and clear cuts and whatever. If if I would go there to hunt cottontails, like then I'm like, okay, this is probably a place where they're, they're going to be close to. Cause I don't, you know, I, I, I was like so frustrated for so much, like so much of my life growing up 
where I'd read the articles about late season hunting. And even when I got into the industry and I was editing articles on it, I'm like, I've never had a situation where I could just go sit on like a pit cornfield and have deer just pour out there. You know what I mean? Like they got hunted too hard. And so you'd see them staging back in the woods or maybe one deer would come out somewhere with the wind. Right. And so I just started hunting them back in the cover and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to catch them just like I do in October staging somewhere. And so for me, it's like the thicker, the better. And, you know, like we, we talked a little bit about the pheasant thing, man, I was, I was out last week in miserable conditions. It was so cold. I still can't feel my thumb. Like it was, it was stupid. And I kept jumping deer in these spots. Like I've jumped three bucks in one spot, like does, you know, and just, you just look at it and you go there, there's no way to approach those deer in here. Like they're better than the cattails. Like they're going to know you're coming in. You can't see them. They get up and, and bound away. Sometimes you can't even see them. You can hear them, especially this year where it's really dry. So the cattails are like seven feet tall. And I look at that and I go like, that's such a telling thing. Like that's, you know, the geothermal cover, no approach for a predator. Maybe a coyote could get in on them somehow. Maybe, you know, maybe, but you just look at that and go, that's what they need now. So how do you get as close to that as possible? And how do you like predict where they're going to go? And I, I love that part of it, man. Yeah. And it's, it's really not that much different than other times of the year, you know, as far as being, is, is looking at that. And, and, and a lot of times those places we cover have the food built into it as far as browse anyways, you know, yep. clear cuts having the briars and, and just some of the new growth that's coming up and have that. And even mountain laurel, like in areas with that, like they'll, they'll eat those twigs and everything late season. And if it's real bad, they'll be eating on some of the conifer trees and stuff. I've seen hemlocks browsed at deer level, um, underneath it when it's bad weather, they don't want to, they want to go up out in a, the open and, and feeding on some of the grasses there. If they can get up and have that wind block and everything and still feed on the branches. At least that's my thought process on why they're doing it but they'll they'll eat just about anything i've seen areas where deer eating a bark off of trees that and i i think that's more of they just didn't have very much food around but I, I i agree with you on the the cover standpoint and it's actually in my opinion it's easier late season to find that cover because it's there's not there's not leaves on the trees that's creating you know more cover especially when you get in a big woods types areas where there's just like a ton of unbroken timber uh you can you can kind of break that down a little bit more as you're walking around and see where that that cover lies yep well and you i mean what you're talking about there with seeing them just kind of you know turn to some of these really low quality food sources i think that stuff's so important too you know like i mean you learn that when you when you winter scout a lot or shed hunt a lot and you see those concentrations of deer and maybe find an antler in the middle of the sumac when they're eating it or some horsetail or something. And you're like, this is, you know, not directly going to put me on a deer now. Cause a lot, you know, obviously if it's winter scouting or something, it's past the season, but seeing how those deer use that stuff and how they go, you know, like we talked about on the, the wire to hunt podcast about how, you know, if you're in a situation where they cleaned all the white oaks up or the white oak acorns in October, and now you're out there in late December, early January, and those deer have switched to those red oak acorns, man, that's so valuable. And I just think like, it's so fun to kind of step outside of your comfort zone and be like, you know, I'm not sitting in mid-October on a pond or whatever, like that I would just like to do, you know, like my dreamy kind of 
whitetail hunt that so often just falls apart or you know like that that sweet funnel or pinch point you find and you're like i'm gonna ride the rut out that's great and like you can learn from that you're just gonna see deer you might kill a deer but when you go and it, this is all season right when, when you go it's hot super hot super cold super windy you go in the late season when you don't really want to go and everybody else is ice fishing or hunt rabbits or whatever and you start seeing like okay the deer are using this this way like i think every time you get a real glimpse into their life like what they're doing now, even summer scouting, any of that, it's just like so beneficial to you. You just understand how they operate better. And I, I think that's so cool that we have that opportunity. Oh yeah. We, uh, and I, I think, I think that's such a good point is just like letting them, letting them teach you with that. And, and, you know, depending on what the, the food source is at, the, at that time. And, and when you are on public ground, uh, one thing that you did mention though, is that I think is important is if you find an area where, um, and I, I like to have different spots for different times of the year. I mean, just completely different areas sometimes. And if there's spots that are public that butts up against private that has ag and there's deer funnel, I mean, that sounds like a pretty dang good late season spot to kind of, to go in there. Now you're not going to be hunting the edges of those fields, but a lot of times they might not even be coming out in daylight to do that anyways. And you can be back closer to wherever you think that they, they could be betting and using some of those. Um, it's, I almost kind of look like the reverse of early season, but similar type things. You're really trying to figure out where they're living at and focusing on that in, in accordance to, to food. But it's just not, there's not as like the, for the most part, there's not like that real designated food source that they're funneling into when you get into some of these public spots, um, at that, there's just not, there's just not that, you know, it's a lot of browsing. It's, and one thing that I learned uh, I want to say it was probably like eight years ago or so I picked up on this was, so we get a lot of, um, we call them leeks. Some people call them ramps, wild onions that that'll grow up yep. and they grew up in a lot of the spring seeps. Well, one year that we had, uh, unseasonably warm January, the leeks started coming up earlier and uh, I was actually finding a bunch of sheds in them in, the late, in March and April. And I was like, huh. And, you know, looking at it, it's like, okay, these bucks were feeding in here because this part one was thought out enough that these leaks were coming up and that's where they were feeding at. And then I kind of, so I started paying attention to these spring seeps and as then even on the really cold years in January and we, you still have uh, tags, those places are the last to freeze over and the deer can still dig in there. One, get water to be able to, to just dig up any sort of browser root systems or whatever they're feeding on in there. And, and also in places with oak trees that had red oak acorns that were on the ground, the deer were only able to feed on those acorns that weren't frozen into the ground right along those spring seeps. So I pay a lot of attention to spring seeps in uh, the late season. My, my camera guy, Justin, always jokes with me. Like whenever he always like, he spent so much time videoing me like scouting that he likes to throw keywords around that I use a lot. And like, we'll be like driving down the road. He's like, there's that spring seep. I bet you'd kill a big buck there. And uh, it's just because <laughs> I, I do put a lot of value on spring seeps um, late yep. season. So that's, that's something I picked up on that if I wasn't either scouting or hunting that time of year that I never would have even thought about. But man, there's, that's such a good lesson right there. Cause when you, when you talk about certain times of year, you know, winter, early spring, where they are really limited on food, some of the greenest food available to them is always in the water. And you don't, I, I ran across this, uh, 
this this property by my house that I I've been deer hunting a little bit, they let me turkey hunt there. And I can scout. I mean, it's right by my house. So I go out there and I scout a lot because I put I take a lot of kids out there, including my own. And so I'll be out there in March and glass and turkeys, and I'll be like, oh, the deer are in the swamp again. And you watch them. And they're pawing up and they're digging up stuff and you go down there and there'll be like little green buds in there that are way before anything else comes up. Or like the this that horsetail that I mentioned, you know, that's like a green reedy plant that grows in lowland spots. And it's clearly not like a prime food source for them until they have nothing green. And I I I hunted deer, you know, way early in my career. If I go, if I would go out in the late season. I would find a patch of that and inevitably there would be a ton of deer sign in there because it's what they have now that's green. And it's always tied to that water table being right there. And it's so important to them. And you just like, you don't learn stuff like that unless you're out there. And it's it's like that lesson, like you're talking about, you might think that that's like a Pennsylvania mountains thing. Like I'm going to find these leaks and these seeps and it's going to be, this is it. You go some other part of the country, 800 miles away, and yeah, it's not the leaks, but it's the same concept, and those deer know it, and you can key in on that. And I even see the turkeys do it, too, and I'm like, everybody has this figured out but us. Like, we don't, we're like, there's a, you know, there's a cut bean field or cornfield over there. That's where they're feeding, and it's like, nope, they're they're staging here, pawing up the stuff in the swamp because it has what they need right now. And yeah, they might end up in that field half hour after dark, but you kill them there. Like you kill them over that water. That's oh man, that and that just brought me to another thought is like, and that's where shed hunting has helped me learn a lot of these things too. Because a lot of these sheds aren't being some, a lot of them are dropped in January, and so you're kind of looking at what they're doing at that time, and and some flatter big woods areas where there's like swamps mixed in with it. Always those swampy areas, I'm finding sheds in, and there might be this like a little group of trees and blowdowns, and 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 they're they're feeding on. Uh, uh, some of the dewberries and stuff that are the the vines and everything that are through there. Like there, whenever I find like dewberries, I'm like, there's gonna be sheds here. It's just a matter of me finding them, or if someone else picked them up earlier. And 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 that was something that that I learned a lot. And and as I you know go into late season hunting, and the more I've done it over the last you know five six years, especially uh, that's where I've put effort in and and uh trying to focus on learning it and i'll even run cameras even if i don't have any tags just to try to learn more about it um but you don't even really need them as much as if you just kind of pay attention to to where the concentration of deer tracks are um where they're spending their time snow really helps that obviously with being able to see in the late season but um it's it's a lot of fun to to pay attention to that and it all comes back to circles back to that concentration that that you mentioned right at the beginning of the the podcast yeah well you know the other thing that's if if you have it that's so awesome about snow is is blood trailing man like (laughs) i know it's i know it's so obvious but one of the things that i that continually kind of amazes me when i end up on blood trails with people who just maybe like don't have a lot of experience is how bad they are at it you know like that's that's an acquired skill like that's that's a muscle you have to use and it's so awesome when you go out and shoot one in the snow and you can you know i a find the tracks but b like it's just written in the snow and see how you know like you can look like oh it ran through here this way because you know how it is like it's it's different visualizing a blood trail in late september early october whatever than it is now 
just it's just different and it's so beneficial to see how they you know like oh i i shot this deer and it ran off through there so that's great and then you go down there and you're like well actually the tracks are here and it curled this way even though in my memory cut right by that tree and it's like no it was 25 feet away from that tree and it's just easier to like kind of process that stuff and go okay like i'm i'm learning right now from this because it's showing me exactly what happened and it's real easy clear to see and i think that's important too yeah especially if you make a marginal shot that they're not going down right away and there's a lot of times where like you'll have spotty blood and when you're just tracking in the leaves that can be difficult you'd be like oh i lost blood you know and you search around and you might not find that next pin drop that's your key to you know going a little bit further and it's it's a lot more difficult where in the snow you can see the actual tracks and then you follow them and okay 50 yards later there's more blood and he caught it up a little bit and then 100 yards later all of a sudden you open back up again and you're able to find that deer and and i think that teaches you a lot too because i i think with blood trailing and i had a, a guy on uh last month talking about with what he's learned with using his blood tracking dogs and just going on a lot and he's like a lot of people give up or way earlier than they should or aren't you know or aren't able to recognize things not even that they give up they just don't find exactly what it is and and also like a lot of deer i've found don't bleed right away you know a lot a lot of situations i've had where deer will die within 100 yards but they never started bleeding until 75 you know besides maybe some blood on the arrow or uh you know, there's there's just so many different situations when it comes to the, the blood trailing aspect well, and it, and that is like, you just can't be a good hunter without that. No. Like you, you just got to get that experience doing it. And dude, I mean, it's like, it's amazing how often you get on a blood trail that just shows you something you didn't believe was going to happen or just like kind of knocks you down a peg. You know, like we, I, I took my daughter out, uh, sometime in early October, we went out and had a had a doe come in in the morning i said light her up if you want like i don't care you got two doe tags so she shoots this doe and it runs off and it was kind of a rainy wet early october whatever and i couldn't the way i was sitting in the blind i couldn't see the hit you know but it was it was close and she's a pretty good shot so i was like i heard it anyway i was like you know honey where, where do you think you hit it she's like i think it was perfect you know we go out and go to blood trail it. And it's like, just a little drop here and a little drop there. And it, in my head, I'm not saying this, but I'm like, I don't think you hit this deer the way you think you did. And, you know, we go a little ways and I look up and that deer's dead 50 yards away from the blind smoked it, yeah. but barely any blood, you know? So I'm like, what? I don't care. Like, this is awesome. So we get that deer out there and then go back that afternoon. Cause I'm like, you got a buck tag and you got another doe tag. And there's a, there was some deer going through there. I was like, let's just go sit. Well, we're sitting and we have some does come into the edge and they're real cagey. And finally, one of them kind of breaks through. And I'm like, listen, you want to, <laughs> you want another one? I don't care. Like, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to let you make the decision. And so, you know, that doe comes in, she, she shoots at it and I watch it run off. And I'm like, I, I was like, I saw that one. I'm like, she smoked this deer. So I'm like, sweet, you know, two, two mature does in the same day for, you know, a 10 year old at that time. So we go out, wait till dark and go out and it's kind of a little rainy, whatever. And I'm like, you know, I've already drug one deer out of the woods today. And I'm like, I, okay, now I got two to butcher and whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I want to get this over with. I want to get back to the shack and we get in there and get on the blood trail. And uh, it's just not good. Like, I'm like, I know that deer's not very far away. We thought we heard it fall down, but it's, you know, whatever. So I'm like trailing it. 
I'm like, I don't get this. Like this, I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, I don't know why I can't find more blood. And I, I pull up my Onyx. This is land I've owned. I own this. I own this 30 acres. I've been on there 170 billion times. And I'm like, I think I'm going the wrong way. And so I like stand up and look out. And I'm like, there's the blind. I like literally hit this blood trail and tracked it the wrong way, not paying attention. I turned around and I was like, honey, I was just, the blinds over there were going the wrong way. I turn around, I track it like 20 yards and there it is. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus, like, you, you know what I mean? And it's like, it sounds so dumb, but you get into the woods in the dark and you're hurrying. And it's like, I know this deer did this. And so I'm skipping all these steps and I know better. Yeah. Just like get on it, follow it. Right. And you still make mistakes like that. And then you think, okay, those are two double lunged, didn't go anywhere. Neither one of them went more than like 50 yards. And now you get one that you hit in the guts or you get that liver shot or one long liver or whatever. And now you've got a real blood trail ahead of you. And it's like, man, I don't think you can do that enough. No. Like, I don't think you can. I don't think that's a thing you can master. Nope. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. And, and, and that's again, back to the whole theme of this shooting does that helps, <laughs> that helps with uh, getting that repetition. in. and, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 I have a love hate relationship, actually more of a hate relationship with blood trailing just because it's like a stressful thing, especially when it's my own deer. But like, I always, anytime anybody needs help, like around home, any family members, anything, they shoot a deer. Like I always go on the trail because one to help them obviously. And two, I learned so much from it and, uh, and to help in my own situations and being able to recognize shots and, and, and see that. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, in the next few weeks here that I get some more blood trail on my, my own to, well, hopefully they just die right away and that'd be actually better, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, I, I I'm kind of torn on it. I'm the same way. Like I'm, I, I don't, I get nervous going out on a blood trail. Like I get, I second guess them fast. Cause I've been on some train wrecks, you know, <laughs> my own and other people's. And so uh, partially I'm like, man, there's nothing better than watching them tip over, but there's also maybe nothing a little better than like, you, like I think I made a good shot and you get on that blood trail. It's like a hundred yards and they're piled up. Like that's a, that's fun, you yeah. know, but it's like when you start doing that and you hit that like distance where you go, they should have been here by now. Now that then all the fun's gone. Fun's gone. <laughs> like, yeah. hundred percent. That happened. That happened to me on that Wisconsin buck. I shot this year, you know, I shot it and you know, we're filming. So it's a freaking goat rodeo. And I was like, I think I, I think I hit it really pretty good. And so I am run off blood on his side and, you know, gave him like four hours, come back and I get on that trail. And I'm like, we, we even watched the footage and it looked good. I'm like, okay, he's going to be, hundred yards away and we get a hundred yards away and this woods is like wide open. And I'm like, there's no dead deer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I can see a hundred yards more and there's no dead deer. And I'm just like all the excitement I had going into it gone, just, just drained instantly. Even I got a blood covered arrow. I got a good blood trail. I'm just like, now it's not what I thought. And I just, th that just changes everything. And he was, he made it, I, I measured it on, on X. I think the trail was like 340 yards and he was hit good. Like he was hit really well. And I was like, you know, how is this always different? Like, how does this happen? You know what I mean? Like, how does that happen where you're like, this was a good shot and that deer made it this far. And I think he was running the whole way, but still like, what, I, 
why does that happen? It, but the more you do it, you just realize like, I'm going to be more cautious than anybody else. Cause I don't that now things are different. Like now we were in a situation where we might bump them, you know, we might lose them. We might have to grid search. We might have to come back in the morning, blah, blah, blah. And the more that you just like get comfortable in those uncomfortable situations and you go blood trail them now and shoot that dough or whatever, the easier it is to just go, okay, this isn't what I thought. Now I got to be smart and I really got to do this the right way and kind of slide into that mode instead of getting frustrated and like instantly just going too fast or like, well, let's just grid search or usually they go down to the pond. I'm going to walk down there. It's like, nope, stay on the blood, figure it out. Yep. No, definitely. And and another thing I, I wanted to kind of go back to that you said a little while back on, on relation to um, doe hunting and you had talking about with cover and, you know, staying close to that cover. And that kind of comes down to the setup. And I know whether you're hunting with a muzzleloader, you're hunting with a bow, you know, whatever, I feel like at least what it was always in my head was like, oh, it's late season and, you know, I have a gun, even though it's a muzzleloader, you know, like, oh, I can shoot a little bit further. I can do this. You know, I could sit more in this open, but my setups look the same, if not is like a bow hunting setup. And you and I talked about this and, and I think that that's something else that's, that's also very uh, important to think about one, um, you know, whether you can shoot them a little bit further or whatever, me with a flintlock muzzleloader, I might as well have my bow. It's about the same. Um, as, as you gave a really good rule of thumb, it's like kind of double your effective, uh, bow range. That's about kind of what I am, um, with, with the flintlock and, but it, it makes you, it does make you a better hunter too, of like trying to figure out those close scenarios and surgically um, be able to have those opportunities. Oh man, I, I muzzleloader, muzzleloader hunting that way can teach you a lot. You know, and that's when I, when I started muzzleloader hunting in Minnesota, we, we couldn't use, we can use scopes now, but we couldn't then. So it was, you know, even though we were using inlines, it was still open sites. And I remember just being like, man, I, you know, I can sit on the bench at the range and, shoot pretty well, like a hundred yards with open sites. You know I mean? You can get a group in there. And so I remember just like going on, like, I'm just going to sit on the edge of the field. I'm just going to put my back to an oak tree. Like I'm turkey hunting and just, and then I realized like, you know, I'm not seeing the deer that I think I should because they've been getting pounded. And so then I would start go sit my bow stands that I had set up for, you know, like October staging area stuff. I started killing deer at like 30 yards and I'm like, okay. This like you're talking about, this is what you need to do. And I, I took that, that was really kind of what kicked me off into being pretty passionate about late season. Cause I had kind of written it off. And then when you go muzzleloader hunting, you feel like you have that advantage. So you go and you, maybe you try to track one and shoot out of its bed or whatever, but you realize like, if you bring your bow game, like a good bow game to the late season, whether you're carrying that open site flintlock or whatever, or your bow hunting, the opportunities are still there. You just gotta, you gotta do it right. Yeah. Like you're not gonna, like, there's not a cushion of like, oh, well, I have this weapon and it's a hundred yard weapon or 75 yards. Like, great, great. But you still have to hunt like you're hunting them with a bow. And it's, it's just a cover based kind of thing. And it, it's so fun. It's just not your typical go post up on a field edge and just shoot them when they walk out. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, I, I think I'd, I think I read something that you had about like, it's like, it's not like with a, a gun of sitting on a power line or sitting somewhere you're looking at 300 yards field edge or whatever. It's like, you're, you're, you're playing a different game. And, and I, I think you learn so much more about 
hunting that way and improve your, your skills, um, moving forward. Dude, I think that that's one of the biggest things that holds back gun hunters and, and bow hunters, to be honest with you, is we are just hardwired to sit where we can see, <laughs> you know, like we like a nice view. We, you know, we really like seeing deer. So we default to setups where we're going to maybe see them, but there's a difference between seeing them and killing them. And yeah. you just like, if you can get over that and go, you know what? I don't need, you know, I got my 300 wind mag or my 270 or whatever out there. Like, I don't need to be able to shoot 400 yards in each direction. I need to be where the deer are going to be. And that's like 50 yards in the thick shit. And that's where they're going to be. But it's so, you know, I mean, think about when you go, you know, if you draw an Iowa tag and you go hunt public land down there, you can pull up, you know, aerial photos and you can pick your spots where people are going to leave stands up. Like it's so obvious and it's like, yeah, that's Iowa. They, maybe they do kill big bucks out of them. I don't know. But when I get down there, I'm like the deer that I am going to shoot are going to be in the cover because everybody's doing the same kind of thing. You know, everybody wants to sit where they can see. And it's like, that's great. You know, that's great if you have a thousand acres of private land to hunt, but if you're hunting where a lot of people can be all those deer, the bucks and the does are going to figure out like, well, I walk out in the open, it's danger zone. I stay back here in this old homestead. I'm free and clear to browse my way around all day and do whatever I want. And it's just the way it works. I know. I used to get so mad when I was a kid and my dad would take me out. So like in Pennsylvania, you had to be 16 before you could hunt on your own. And like, I'd go out with him, and we'd be in these rifle spots that I couldn't see much. And I'm like, you know, like dad, my friends are hunt, like, you know, my friends are hunting these places that are open and they got all, and he's like, no, like, this is where the deer are. You got to And I'm like, but my gun, you know, I can shoot over a hundred yards. Why, why can I only see 60? You know, it's like, and, and it took a long time to kind of understand and understand that, that different, uh, that different mindset with it. And especially when you add pressure involved with it and it's just, Think, think like a deer, where are they going to feel safe moving in the daylight when you're going to be able to hunt them just because you see tracks out there in the open all the time, isn't going to mean that they're going to be there during the daylight hours. So I, I think that's a, a such a, a good thing too. I mean, it is. And it, you know, what you said there is like, if, if you hunt where there's a decent amount of pressure, that's the number one driver to every decision, you know, and we were sold this kind of, uh, narrative that you just have to figure out the deer right where does that buck bed like where does he make rubs like where does he feed and it's like all that stuff's great like if you figure that out you're you're definitely ahead of the curve a little bit but if you hunt where there's pressure it's always like how are they reacting to the pressure that's it like there's no just there's no just figure the deer out without that part of it like it just doesn't work and if you go someplace where the you know, like there's no hunting pressure and you just get to hunt deer. It's really not that hard. Like I've, I've been lucky. I've hunted a few places like that and it's pretty sweet. Cause it's like that, that huge weight over your head of what did, what do other hunters do to these deer? Not only what do you do, them, but like what do other hunters do? That's gone. And you're like, okay, well, where do they bed? Where do they eat? Where do they drink? Where do they sleep? Whatever, man, everything, when you, when you're hunting pressure deer, especially the late season right now on public land, it's like, what are they doing to survive? And it's not just go out and get a bunch of calories at night. Like, yeah, they're going to do that in the dark, but like they're going to stay away from you and everybody else. And they have it freaking dialed. Yep. So what do you do? 
Yep. That totally makes sense. So Tony, what would be, if you had to leave people with one or two things to think about with late season hunting does, what, what would be your kind of last words to, to say to people before we uh, break off? Uh, you know, take it, take it seriously. Like, I mean, it's kind of easy to just go out and sort of half-ass it and sit a stand that you want to sit or sit a spot you want to sit. But if you, if you put a little effort into it, like there's opportunities out there. And, you know, we, we talked about this on that wire to hunt episode where, you know, there are times when public land really isn't super bad. Like we always, we always talk about public land being so hard, but that's because there's always so much pressure. This is the time of season where there's less pressure than any other time of the year. And so you have that advantage, you know? So it's like, it actually can work in your favor if you go out and try to work those deer a little bit. And yeah, you might have some other people hunting in there, but it's it's not going to be like it was in the rut and the opener or those nice weekends in October. And so just go out and experience it. Private land, public land, just go go see if you can do it. I mean, what else you got to do? It's dark at freaking five o'clock yeah. now. <laughs> like, I mean, it sucks. We're locked into this horrible winter pattern. Just give it a, give it a shot. And you know, if for nothing else, just to like learn a little bit about yourself, like what can you tolerate? What can you figure out now? And what can you learn about the deer? And if you go put it together and you get one killed, that's pretty sweet. It's worth the effort, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think, I think you hit that. And I just wanted to add like to what you were saying about taking it serious, you know, think about all the things you think about in the early season with your access, the wind, all of those things and pay attention to all that, just like you would any other time of the year. And I think you can learn, even if you're going out just to have fun and shoot a doe, like, you know, still use that as a, as a learning lesson. Yeah. Big time, man. Just get out there. Just get out there and hunt. You're you're never going to regret it going, just get in the woods. And as, as you and I talked about again, I think, I think we talked about it on wired to hunt, but it was like, I also like hunting snowshoe hares, which is also the opening week of late season uh, for us. So I'll probably be splitting time in between doing that. Maybe some some deer hunting in the evenings or something, and during the day going out and carrying a shotgun. And I tried hunting uh, snowshoes with a bow for a while. Um, my dad was doing it, and I wanted to do it, and I'm done with that. I'm same thing with same thing like with turkeys. I'm I'm shooting them with a shotgun, and that's what they're meant to be shot with. <laughs> uh- <laughs> I, I I will agree with you on the snowshoe hair thing. I, I've hunted rabbits and some other small game quite a bit with a bow, and it's a hell of a lot better with a gun. So much better. A hell of a lot better. It's like, all right, I want this to be fun. Like I already, everything else that that we do is already hard enough. Like let's let's help ourselves a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do still think there's a pretty compelling reason to hunt turkeys with a bow, but it's a it's such a different experience than going out and shooting him in the face with a shotgun. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you there. So, <laughs> well, let me put it this way. So if you, if you don't have a lot of room to roam, then running and gunning with a shotgun sucks. Right. True. And I'll tell you what, man, I don't think, I don't think you can learn how turkeys interact and speak and like spend their day really well until you sit in a freaking bow blind and you work those birds all day dark to dark in one spot man it's it's brutal for most people but i i feel like i learned what turkeys do from scouting and hunting them with a bow better than i ever did with a gun and i killed a pile of birds with a gun but when you're like i'm stuck in this spot and i need those birds to get here 
and be seven yards away from me. Oh man, you, you learn a lot about how to call them and set up for them and stuff, but it is not for everyone. Yeah. Okay. It can be Uh, so miserable. I will. Okay. I will. I will agree with you. I will agree with you on that. Like, I, I think that's, that's something that, that my narrow mind of thinking about it wasn't, wasn't making sense. And, and, uh, I, I'd never, I've never hunted them from a blind, um, like in a field or whatever. I was like, with bow hunting turkeys here, I was trying to run and gr- run and gun and doing it that way. And I was just so like, hard. so frustrating. And I've shot a couple yeah. of birds doing it that way. And I was just like, I don't know. I just, yeah. If you're going to do that, just carry the 12 gauge. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely recommend anyone that listen to this one, go over, listen to the, the one where Tony interviewed me and we basically just had a conversation like this on wired to hunt, but a little bit more focused towards bucks. And then a lot of really good stuff about, uh, snowshoes and also pheasant hunting and how that can be used in winter scouting, all that stuff. I think it kind of, this was kind of like one big complete conversation that was split into the two separate episodes. So I think uh, everyone should head over and listen to that, but I do too. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody should <laughs> help help Tony keep his job. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, help the low guy on the totem pole at Meat Eater keep his job for one more year. Uh, go give us a listen. <laughs> uh, no, but thank you uh, again for coming on, Tony. Is there anywhere that you want to point anybody else to as far as checking things out? Big it's social just media, all meat guy. eater man. Big social uh, media guy. <laughs> yeah, you can go follow me at Tony J Peterson on Instagram. Uh, but no, everything's at meat eater. Everything that I create, the podcast, videos, uh, all the articles, everything. You know, they can find it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, buddy, for coming on. Uh, we'll we'll make sure the next time you come on isn't so spread out and and thin. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. I appreciate it, man. Yep. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.